Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast... It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsors, as always, by Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America, a fraternal financial organization that can help you plan for your family's future. You can give Hector a call. He's local at 940-453-3490. Also sponsored, of course, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 170, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. All right. We made it further in the podcast without an F-bomb than we did last time. (laughs) Well, fuck you. And there it is. We're back, baby. Yeah. Man, we're going to have some fun on this one. We got a lot to get into. Ed Werder, ESPN NFL insider, Cowboy beat writer Clarence Hill Jr. We're going to talk a lot of Cowboys. I mean, it is a big-ass game this week at Arrowhead against Kansas City. But before we do that, have you given Hector a call? Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America. Are you trying to figure out how to plan for you, for your family's future? You need to give them a call, 940-453-3490. And it's funny because Hector sent me this thing, and he's got a historical hypothetical that basically shows that $50 a month, all right? If you start out $50 a month, depending on how you use it, you could build that to $1.4 million in 45 years. And as he says, when children are young, it's really not so much about how much. It's just simply about getting started for you to set up your children so that you can start helping them to build that generational wealth. Dude. That you know, my mom told me that uh, back when I was coming out of college, man. She was like the most, and this is what Hector's talking about. The best thing you could do in terms of saving is just be consistent because time is what matters. The amount doesn't matter nearly as much as time. If you start early and go for a long time, it'll add up and uh, it'll it'll work out in the end. Um, so give Hector a call. Let him explain it to you a lot better than I just did right there. Because whether you do that or you take another approach, the thing about Hector, man is he will give you a program and approach and a route for you to follow. Whether you want a long-term route, a little shorter route, when you want to be aggressive, conservative, or something in between, he'll do whatever you want. Just give him a call and let him say and uh, and tell him what you want and how you want it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about, I mean, he sent me this whole chart with dividends and capital gains and all kinds of weird adult words and stuff like that. <laughs> but look, Hector's the guy who can explain that to you. 
if you want to learn, and, and I've got a young son, he's about to be 11 years old in January. You know, that's something that if you want to start helping him to plan for the future and you realize if I'm doing this right now, that in his future, he can have $1.4 million through some of the investments and the things that Hector can help with, then yeah, that's the call that you need to make. 940-453-3490. All your financial questions, it doesn't cost anything to meet with him. It's non-fee-based. Get with Hector and start planning for your future and your family's future today. Again, Hector Flores, 940-453-3490. Also, of course, our friends at Greening Law, if you've been hurt in a car accident, much like I was, if you've experienced malpractice from a physician, a hospital, or perhaps you were injured on the premises of a business, you have got to call the lawyers at Greening Law. Let them be your fierce legal competitor against these insurance companies. Well, that's because, you know, the thing about Greening Law, man, is they'll tell you the questions you didn't even know you are supposed to ask. They handle everything for you. They'll do and take care of you in a way, again, you didn't even know you are supposed to be taken care of. And what I like about it most, you pick up the phone, tell me situation, that doesn't cost you a single solitary nickel. To say, hey, here's what happened to me. What do you think? Can you represent me? If they take you on as a client, bro, they don't get paid unless you get paid. So they are grinding for you. No question about it. They make it happen. And again, it truly is when you go through an event like this, trust me, you have a lot that you are dealing with that has nothing to do with insurance and trying to figure out what am I supposed to do and who can help me. You're really just worried about is my back ever going to be normal again? And that is where Greening and his team, the Green team comes in because they battle against the insurance companies and make sure that you get taken care of consultations are free. Give them a call. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. 325 Sunday afternoon, the Dallas Cowboys will take the field at Arrowhead Stadium to take on the two-time defending AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. This is a game that I think all of us had circled when you looked at the schedule this year. I think the one game, obviously the opener Thursday night against Tampa, but right. Kansas City on the road at Arrowhead going up and you thought Dak and Mahomes, a real chance to measure yourself against a team that's been at the top of the NFL the last three or four years. And then the Dallas Cowboys went out and went seven and two. The Chiefs kind of stumbled a little bit. They really started off weird where we were all like, what's going on in Kansas City? I mean, this was a Chiefs team, keep in mind, that started off three and four. They've since won three consecutive games. They're now six and four, coming off of a blowout win over the over Vegas, 41 to 14 last week. And it sets this up, man. All the eyes on the country, this is a big-time matchup in the NFL this weekend. That's a huge game, man. Everybody will be watching it. And uh, I'm expecting a big-time game because um, I don't think uh, these Cowboys will fall flat like they did against Denver. Uh, I think you'll get a game that's much more like Tampa Bay in the opener, like you kind of said. And uh, they'll show up. They'll be ready to play. And then we'll see what happens. Uh, three or four plays, as we know, will determine this game. And if the Cowboys make them, they'll win. And if they don't, they'll lose. But I think it'll be a fourth-quarter game. And it uh, wouldn't shock me at all if the last team with the ball wins. This is a really interesting Kansas City team. This is not the last couple of years of Kansas City. Pat Mahomes 
it feels like has forced things a lot more than he has in recent years. They've really struggled outside of a couple of games this season to do anything on the ground at all. You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who got the injury, and I think, if I recall correctly, was placed on IR a couple of weeks back. Daryl Williams has come in. They've been trying to use him and Jarek McKinnon. It just hasn't really worked for them to be moving the ball very well at all on the ground. And then through the air, it's basically Tyree Kill, and it's it's Travis Kelsey. And, And they've tried to get other guys involved, but you look at this, Tyree Kill has 111 targets. Travis Kelsey has 89 Nicole Hardman has 56. Nobody else has more than 30. Dog, I mean, their offense ain't hard to figure out, but they're terrific players. They're Hall of Fame caliber players. Uh, and so, they're, you know, everybody knows what they're doing. It's just hard to stop. And the thing about it is, with Tyree Hill, if you bust the coverage, if you make a mistake, if you fall for a double move, Trayvon, holla! Yeah, he's later. gone. You know, you know, better luck next series. And so the key is, that's why teams have been playing too deep on them. Make them drive, you know, methodically down the field. Don't give up the big play and hope they screw it up before they get to the end zone. Now, the one thing that is also very interesting about this is, for whatever reason, and I don't think people realize this, this is a Chiefs team that will give you the ball. They are second in the NFL in turnovers this year. They've given it away 20 times in 10 games. The Jets are worse than them. They, are, they have given the ball more than the Dolphins, the Panthers, the Texans, and the Jags. That's the company they're keeping with turning the ball over. The flip side of that, oh, look where the Cowboys are. Yep, that's right, fourth in the NFL in takeaways. This is a team, the Cowboys, who have capitalized on taking the ball away, going up against a team. Pat Mahomes has thrown 11 interceptions, or 10 interceptions. Only two quarterbacks in the NFL have thrown more than him, and that's Joe Burrow and Sam Darnold, who have both thrown 11 So you look at the realm in which he's in, not only are they throwing interceptions, they're giving the ball up on fumbles as well. I think at some point that that's going to come into play and may give Dallas one of those scores that kind of swings the game. Um, I think the, I mean, the Cowboys have lived off of turnovers this year. Nobody's surprised by that. Uh, The Chiefs have been giving them up. Um, And I think it's the same thing that the Cowboys have been doing, which is when you get those opportunities, you got to make the play. It can't be, oh, I dropped it. Oh, I, you know, I didn't fall on the fumble. I tried to scoop and score. No, if, if they put the ball in the opportunity to get it, you got to take it. Because a game like this, turnovers are always the difference between winning and losing. And so I think when you look at the Cowboys and the way they protect the ball and the way they force turnovers, you got to think that they will have an edge in that particular category. Yeah, and both these defenses, the one thing about Dallas, and we've talked about this, has been their scoring defense. They give up yards. You can run it a little bit on them. You can throw it a little bit on them. But the one thing they've been very good at, they're 10th in the NFL in points against. Kansas City is 20th. Kansas City has been giving up a lot more points. And when you look at what they've done, now in recent weeks, it's been a little bit different because in the last three weeks, they've dropped it way down. But they also, in three of their last four games, they're outside of the Raiders game. Before that, they had scored three against Tennessee. They barely beat the Giants 20 to 17. And then they barely beat the the Packers, who didn't have Aaron Rodgers, 13 to 7, before showing up in Vegas and doing what they did. So this is a really, really interesting Kansas City team for me this year. They're going to be able to put up points. Dallas is going to be able to put up points. I feel like the Dallas defense is slightly better than what Kansas City is rolling out. And I think these offenses are fairly equal, except Dallas, believe it or not, Dallas has more weapons than Kansas City does. 
No, I believe that. I believe that. I mean, we just talked about what does Kansas City really got? They got two. Um, Travis Kelsey and uh, your boy, the Cheetah. Yeah, Tyreek Hill, really, man. Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, if you include him as a weapon. But, you know, Miko Hardeman's cool, but ain't nobody looking at him like, oh, my God, he's a weapon. So I think, uh, I mean, this is a weird game for me because I think the Cowboys probably have more talent on offense. I think their defense is playing better. But I think that this is a focused um, – I think Kansas City looks at this as an opportunity to get back on the map as in terms of a team that people respect. And and I think you'll get their best game of the season. Uh, they're playing at the crib. Uh, those folks will be lit up and fired up. And I think Kansas City takes this one, man, in a, in a quality game. Ooh. I, think, I, I Ooh. think the Chiefs win it, bro, 35-30. Man. See, you're right where I was, but I have it the opposite way. Do you now? I do, man, because I, I just believe the way that we saw Dak and the Cowboys play last week, and, and they played pissed off. And I think, like, you talk about how important of a game this is for Kansas City. I think the Cowboys see it that way. I think everybody kind of recognizes, man, if you can win this game and you're 8-2 and two, and you're up there at the top of the NFC with Green Bay and Arizona, this sends a message across the league where you can't just point to them. And I, I think people do this. I think people point to the Cowboys right now and go, okay, okay, yeah, you kind of beat the Chargers, but they're not really any good. Outside of that, I mean, maybe New England, you know, but they're just okay. And I know that the Chiefs don't have a great record, but I think the Chiefs are one of those huge measuring stick games that you win this and it kind of sends notice. You went into Arrowhead on the road and beat Pat Mahomes. And I, right? I like Dak to rise up. I think he's going to have a phenomenal game. And I think the Chiefs will turn the ball over at an inopportune time, and Dallas wins 35-31 is what I have. Oh, we were in the same ballpark. Yeah, I mean, we're right on directions. it. Yeah. I think, I think this is going to be a huge win. And what, what I hate about it is I would not be surprised if they get the natural emotional letdown and lose to the Raiders at home on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, I think that's why the schedule's so hard. It's a uh, – although I, I don't know – you know, I sit here and say that. I mean, I can see it, but, you know, the Turkey Day game is also a huge day. It's a short week for the Raiders. I see the letdown being more against the Saints or the week after that. Even though you've had a uh, a, a break, it's more like the whoosah, the deep breath moment, if one's going to occur. But, you know, this is also the kind of team, man, with the leadership that they've got. Now that they've already got this spanking from Denver, they might not have a letdown. I mean, they could lose. They just might not have a letdown. Yeah, and it's it's going to be really interesting. This is a fascinating. It's a fascinating stretch of games because of the three and twelve days and the back to back Thursday night games before you get kind of another mini breather after you get past the Saints on Thursday, December second. To really, and that's the thing. I think Archer's right. When we talked to Archer earlier this week, I mean, these three games here. You know, you could be 10 and 2, even if you lose one and you're 9 and 3. You look at that back part of the schedule and you feel like you've got four wins on there with two against Washington, one against the Giants, and then the Eagles. And if you do that, if you come out of this and you're 9 and 3, you got to be, your belief is you're 13 and 3, and you, the number one seed in the NFC comes down to that Arizona game on January 2nd. Yep. That, uh, I mean, that's what you want, man. You want to uh, put yourself in position so that that game against the Cardinals, provided that the Cardinals continue to be one of the best teams in the NFC, yeah. um, 
is that that's it, man? Because, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. Two games left, home field on the road. I mean, uh, at stake, your stadium. Um, dude, I mean, that's you, – you, what is that that we say? That's why the hell you lift out the weights in offseason. <laughs> it is, yeah, game, man. For a game like that. Yep. I mean, that's why you do it. You're exactly right. I, I'm stoked about this game. I am – especially after the last couple of weeks, I mean, the Denver game – I thought they were going to win. So did, I mean, everybody did. And that was such a letdown. I was like, who even cares about this? And then the Atlanta game got out of control so early. I, I just have a feeling there's something, and we kind of talked about this. There's something to be said about Kansas City in the fall. It's going to be in the 40s by the time the sun goes down. And it's just what football is supposed to be at, at Arrowhead with right. two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. This is going to be awesome. No, it should be a great game, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and the Cowboys are a really good team, man. I mean, they're a damn good team. So I think they'll show up. It's just a matter of whether they win or not. Yeah, and I think they will bring their A game. And I think if they do, they'll beat the Chiefs. I think if the Cowboys bring their A game, I think they can beat any team in the NFL. And I, I think that's the thing is that you don't know for sure yet if this team is at that point where they're going to bring that A game week in and week out. But well, see, I think um, if if – if their lineup were different, I would feel different. Like if Randy Gregory were playing, I got you. I might give them an edge because I go, okay, they got a legitimate pass rusher, but they don't have a legitimate pass rusher. And if you give Mahomes time, man, he's going to scald you on a regular basis. Uh, now you know maybe Michael Parsons can deliver uh, from different linebacker. Maybe can't. Yeah. But if they had their best players playing, I'd probably give them an edge. All but right. If you don't. So I'm riding with the Chiefs. But instead, you hate the Cowboys. So there see, you see. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just. You said they're going to lose. I mean, you might as lose and hate. Same four letter word. That's how I see it. I don't know what to tell you. That's how it is. Yeah. I will tell you something that you won't hate though. And both you and I, and I think we're starting to bring people on board with this. That Bruce Biltong is. I mean, you unprompted the other night. So bruised biltong, which is like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. You yeah. texted me the other day. I think this was yesterday, unprompted. Yesterday yesterday morning, and you just texted me, that sliced biltong is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, it is the truth. It is, uh, it is succulent. It is savory. It is... Um, it is fantastic and here's the interesting part for me man it's so hearty or whatever i ate about three things three handfuls not even handfuls like yeah. i put my hand in there grab it out three times and drink some water some sparkling water with it bro and i am literally full for like an hour hour and a half two hours uh it's a bunch of protein uh it's no carbs it's no sugar uh it's man that stuff is the truth, man. It's it's delicious. It is so good. If you haven't tried it yet, it is Bruise Biltong. It is online, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, BruiseBiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15, and you'll get 15% off your order. John sent in a picture of his order that was arrived today. He tweeted at us. He said, I was pulling into the driveway listening to the podcast. I go to my mailbox. Look what arrived. And yes, they delivered in New Jersey. <laughs> They'll deliver anywhere, man. And I am telling you, if you haven't tried this yet, if you like beef jerky, you will freaking love Biltong. It is, it is just, God, it's good. As Jacques told you, there's no artificial ingredients. It's zero sugar. You can get these two-ounce little snack bags. They're 240 calories and 30 grams of protein. 
It's delicious. I can't stop eating it. I think I eat some every day. No, it's fantastic, man. It's it's fantastic. Now, you know, they got the original flavor. They got some snap sticks. They got a lot of different variety of things right. you can choose from. Uh, it's just that I love the slice so much that I don't get around to eating everything else. Yeah, I, I've already, I already had ordered two more bags of the sliced biltong, and I've already eaten a bag and a half, so I'm about to have to order some more. See? It's just nice. become, the thing of it is, like, legit, it is it has now become, because I enjoy it so much, it will be something that is always in my pantry. Like, I always have Triscuits, and I always have, well, I always have Triscuits, and so now this will be the other right. thing that I will always have. Just because... You know, Triscuits and turkey and cheese is a snack that I eat a lot. And now Biltong is a snack that I eat a lot. I, I think it's great. It tastes great. It's savory. It's more tender than beef jerky. I'm telling you, Brews Biltong, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, promo code JAM15, and you get 15% off your order at Brews Biltong. Also, of course, our friends at Blue Star Motor Group, specializing in superior quality, Carfax certified, pre-owned vehicles of all makes and models. Give Deb a call, 817-881-4066. Check out their website, man. BlueStarMotorGroup.com. When you get there, you'll see the inventory. You will find a car, and you will be like, there's no way that price is right. Come on. Come on. And then you'll call Deb, and she'll be like, no, yeah. that's." And they'll be like, how do you make such great deals? And they'll blow your mind. Now, the price is always right, man, because Deb and Mike are all about the win-win situation, and that's what I love about them, man. They want to win. They want you to win. They want everybody feeling good when the contracts are signed. Um, and to me, that's all you can ever ask. Yeah, it's 817-881-4066. You can shoot her a text. You can give her a call. It is Blue Star Motor Group. I'm telling you, go to their website. Check it out. There is a variety of of vehicles they have range rovers they have trucks they have a fancy looking corvette they're all at fantastic deals for all ranges of budget at bluestarmotorgroup.com but we move forward here and we've got to take this trip around the block man and i came across this article i don't know how many of you are familiar with the garland area but this is a place i have been oddly enough many times it's been there forever texas stadium and it is, is it? it's a roller skating rink. It's called Texas really? Skadium. It had closed down in February because, I mean, I think we all forget we just had an insane massive winter storm nine months ago. Right, right, right. Well, that winter storm had caused so much damage to their building that they have been closed for the last nine months. Texas Skadium will be reopening on Monday, November 22nd. The place is 31 years old. It is a 33,000-square-foot facility, and it cost them $800,000 to repair all the damaging. Wow. Now, I bring this up because, I mean, everybody knows I grew up in Rockwall, and obviously Rockwall is basically right across the lake from Garland. And I had a couple of friends. One of my good buddies who's in my fantasy league went to Lakeview Centennial, which is like right across the parking lot essentially from Texas Stadium. So I've been to Texas Stadium a couple of times. But I'm curious, have you ever been roller skating? No. Never. Now, the, no. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Hmm. When I was a... You got to understand, man. It's just, it's just interesting. When I was a kid, skating was... I mean, people skated, obviously. But it wasn't like the end-all, be-all. Especially for people I, I hung up. We were busy playing sports yeah. and doing other stuff. Um, but what I remember from skating, really, is my son was eight years old. And... Um, 
he was at Deion Sanders football camp. He, he used to go to camp every day. They were there all day. And on Fridays, they had field trips. And I remember him getting out of the car, and I'll never forget it because it was my anniversary weekend, and I had reservations at the Ritz-Carlton for the weekend in downtown Dallas. And I said, what y'all doing for the field trip today? Oh, we're going roller skating. But I'm not going skating because I don't hmm. know how to skate. I said, okay, cool. Uh, get a call that night, man. And it goes, hey, uh, Ashton turned his ankle uh, roller skating, and uh, it seems like it's swollen up pretty bad. And uh, he's in a lot of pain. You might need to come get him uh. or check him out. So now I'm mad because I'm on my anniversary weekend at the Ritz Carlton. Had to put my clothes back on. Uh-oh. I, was in, I, I was resting comfortably in one of those big, fat, thick terry cloth robes. Okay. Wait, waiting for the night's uh, adventures to begin. And yes. I didn't think I was. In, I didn't think I was in any, any hurry. So I was letting them come at a very romantic rate, pace. Dude, I went and picked my son up and looked at his ankle. I said, oh, shit. We went to uh, one of those care emergency rooms. Yeah. They did an x-ray. He said, oh, he's broken it. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> so he broke his ankle, man. I got a picture. I'll see if I can find it because I think it's in my favorites. I'm going to text it to you. Maybe I'll put it out there. It's the saddest picture I've ever seen that dude take, man, because it was the summer. That meant there was going to be no football in the fall. It was here's the interesting thing though, Matt. He was we had talked about it because he had been hitting in the backyard. I was like, dude, you got really good hand eye. Maybe you should play baseball this summer. Yeah. He's like, okay, sign me up. But he was eight years old, or he was seven or eight. And the thing about it was, the next year, the baseball pitchers, man, were throwing like seventy or eighty, and he and he like missed the window when you could just like get in there before you like if they hit me, they're gonna kill me. Yeah. Uh, so that's my skating story. So, no, I've never skated. My son went skating once, broke his ankle. And uh, skating has a bad taste in the Taylor family. Yeah, I haven't been roller skating in years. I mean, I got really into, I mean, I grew up in the rollerblading era of rollerblading. Oh. You know, in the early 90s, I mean, me and, and Brandon, I mean, we used to own Lightning TRS rollerblades, which were team rollerblade series rollerblades in Brandon was better than I was, but we would do tricks and, and we would, you know, oh, rail slide. And, oh, dude, like all kinds of stuff. And, you know, got really into street hockey and stuff like that. And we just, I mean, we were going hardcore. But when I was little, my family lived in Madison, Mississippi, which is a suburb of Jackson for two years. I was in fourth and fifth grade when we lived there. My t- I had my 10th birthday party at a roller skating rink in Madison. And I'll never forget this because that's about the age where like, you know, like groups of little kids or whatever, we'd hang out at the roller skating rink and like we could go and skate and stuff. And I had this, this girl's name, Christy. I'll never forget her name. I asked if she wanted to skate with me. You know, we we weren't holding hands or anything. We were 10 years old, but we go around once and somebody had accidentally spilled something. And as we come around, she slips and falls and breaks her arm. See, this is what I'm talking about. And shows up at school like that next Monday with the cast on it. And I never forgot that because it's like the first time really that I ever started to be like, oh, girls are cute. And, you know, hey, do you want to skate or let's go skate or something? And and I almost and I break a girl's arm. Not me, but, you know. And then the other right. thing about that skating rink, that is the first place that I ever kissed a girl. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Cause it seemed like now I think about it, I'm like, dude, if Maddox kissed a girl, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You're 10. Like you're in fifth grade. Right. And I'll never forget this. Her name was Valerie Latham. 
And it was like a dare thing. We were in fifth grade and somebody was like, hey. And so we go underneath the table at the skating rink and we have been dared to kiss. And she goes, what kind of kiss do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, what? You tell me, kissing connoisseur. What types of kisses are there? And she looks at me. She goes, I swear. She goes, well, there's regular or there's French. Whoa. And I was like, and I don't know. I'm like, well, what, which one is better? And she goes, French. And I go, what does that mean? She goes, well, you touch tongues. And I remember thinking in my head, like, what the hell? Not probably not what the hell, but you know, like what? And so we lean forward to kiss and like, we'd both just kind of stick our tongues out. And I got in that moment, it was the nastiest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Dude, absolutely. Positively. I thought this is, I cannot believe people want to touch their tongues together what is wrong with life? And I like took off and skated around. Her friends got all mad at me because she got upset and all this. I must have been 11. It seems like that. I must have been like 11 after I had turned 11 because 10 seems too young. 11 yeah, makes sense because, you know, I know for a fact that I kissed a chick when I was 12. So 11 makes right. more sense. No, it's, it's interesting. I had the exact same reaction uh, when Tracy Wade did it to me. <laughs> and you never forget their name. It's so weird. No, because this was in Nashville. I should find And I was girl. just like, what are you? Because, okay, fine, we'll kiss. But what are you doing sticking your tongue? Like, oh, my God, stop it. Yeah. And now, now if they don't want to do that, you're like, what's wrong with you, you prude? come on man i mean can you imagine omg this is so bizarre oh my god i I don't even know what to do i mean it's a matter of fact uh y'all should hit us up on twitter tell us about your first tongue kiss how'd that go for you it uh, it had to be that way for everybody (laughs) i mean like you don't understand any of that stuff a lot of that stuff when you're really little you know, that, that's one of the things that I think, this, even now, when, when you start getting older and you realize, like, when you're in high school, you thought, man, you got, you know, you're older. Like, I got it. I know. And now I see, like, a 16-year-old, and I'm like, God, you, you, like, you're like a baby. Like, I can't believe that I was once you, and I thought that I knew all this stuff. But in, And then I'm looking at you, and you think you know all this stuff. But that's just the way that it goes. I mean, that's, that's how life has to be learned. Dude, it's amazing, man. Yeah, man, but that that is one of those things where absolutely just bizarre. Bizarre to think about stuff like that. And see what we get. <laughs> no, and I, I remember this today. I mean, those are probably like my first kisses because that was in fifth grade. And then I kissed this girl named Tanya in sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, it was I was all about Amanda Marsh. Her and her friends called me Marshmallow Matt, and they they teased me that my butt looked like marshmallows. Wow. But you know how it is in seventh grade when you're turning 13. I mean, you are at the height of hormonal. Like, here we go. Like you're, you're, yeah. Like you don't realize exactly what it means. You just know that. I mean, at that point you're like, I don't know why, but when I look at this one girl, like, oh my God. And that's just kind of the way that it goes. And so, yeah, I, I, I never, I, I went, that was my third kiss. And that was probably like the one where I was. We went to the movie Sidekicks with Chuck Norris and Jonathan Brandis. Wow. And her friends had told me, because we were going together, you know, where you talk on the phone at night until one of you fell asleep like a moron. God, I mean, now I want to go kick my own ass. Like, how miserable does that sound? I don't know. That sounded pretty cool at the time. At the time? <laughs> but now it's like, hey, stay on the phone with me till I fall asleep. I'm like, hell no. Or I just play PlayStation and pretend I was listening. But... 
Well, yeah. Back in the day, you know, you would talk to them. And then, anyway, so with Amanda, it was wild because it gets to the end of the movie, and her friend had said that she was expecting me to kiss her. And I was like, oh, my God. I was freaking out. My hands were so sweaty. And at the very end of the movie, right when the credits start rolling, I just look at her, and she looked at me like, why are you looking at me? And I just made my move. And she accepted. She accepted the kiss, and it was glorious. Oh, it was glorious. And then as we were walking out of the movie theater, and this is what's so hilarious. I'm probably 13. You're 13 in seventh grade, yeah. And this dude looks at me, probably 16 who works there, and he looks at me and goes, hey, no more PDA, kid. (laughs) Really? And at the time, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting arrested. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, like, this is horrible. They're going to tell on me. I'll never be able, I'll never get to see a movie again. (laughs) Hilarious, bro. I know, man. I mean, you go down the rabbit hole of memories like this, and they just keep coming. Dude, it's nothing like the first kiss memory. That's no, not, there's not. Well, some, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're funny whether whether they work that good or they work that bad. They're funny. And Dude, and I remember this. I was standing outside the movie theater. I remember what she was wearing. I mean, my memory is insane. She had black vans on with white uh, laces. She wow. bent down to tie her shoe, oh. and I looked down her shirt, and I saw, I saw her, her like the middle of her bra. And I, I'll never, I was like, oh my God, I, I, my mom picks me up. I immediately run to my room, call Brandon and tell him exactly. (laughs) I was like, guess what I saw? The middle of a project. Like, oh my my God. God. He was like, no way. Did you really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh my God, that was, that's awesome. I was like, I know. God. How pathetic were you? No, but you got to love the innocence, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like, that's the thing about being young is the innocence of what all of that. I mean, you have no ulterior motives. And, and even if you do, you don't understand what they are. True that. True that. And, and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's the funny thing of the nerves of even having to ask a girl to the dance. Like, hey, do you want to go to the homecoming dance? And, and like your world is going to end on whatever her answer is going to be. And I don't even realize. I mean, if you're a teenage girl, no way you realize the power that you have. You know, like I can crush this got, teenage boy's soul right now. No, nah, but they got a whole different, they got a whole right. other list, yeah. list of issues. Like, you know, there's 40 dudes and they want to ask the same 10 girls to the prom or to the, to the dance. And what about those other 30 girls? They're like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't anybody want me? So, you know. Dude, yeah, that's, that's true. Why, there's all that. That's why, that's why high school can be, <laughs> it could be great or it could be an absolute disaster based on where you fall into the caste system. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I like, I don't know. So I have moments like this, and, and we had gone, we went out and got some barbecue last night, and we're sitting there, and the sign at the bar said, you know, no alcohol if you were born, like, before this date or whatever. And the, it was 11-17-2000. And I'm like, right. oh, my God. I was like, so kids born in 2000 are turning, tw- obviously they're turning 21, and I just thought, I've turned 21 twice. I, tur- ah. I turned 21 before that date in 2000, and that was 21 years ago. How about that? I don't know. It's just times like that where it's just the time of, in, of life and how you think about things is just so wild sometimes. No, it absolutely is. There was a time you thought 30 was old. I know, man. God. And, uh, there was a time you thought 50 was near death. Not anymore. <laughs> since, I, since I've passed 50, I'm like, 50? 
That's like the new 30, baby. Man, I, I, it is. It is. It is weird like that. Yeah, and a lot of it depends on uh, if you can keep yourself in any kind of decent shape so that you can get around and move around. But, dude, I feel better at 54 than I, than I ever did at 34. Yeah, and it's wild because I have these thoughts a lot where I'll look at my son and I'll be like, he's he's 10. He turns 11, as I said, in January. And I think back to when I was that age. And then, you know, I think of how I live my life and the things I like to do now and how my parents were. You know, my parents... When you're 10, your parents seem really old. I mean, and they were yeah. like in their mid 30s, which is younger yeah. than I am now. But to me at 10, I'm like, my mom and dad are so old. Matter of fact, man, we may have my dude on the show for a little bit because he turns 18 in a couple of weeks. Oh, man. And lots of folks have grown up with him, but they've never heard from him. Yeah. So maybe I mean, we'll, maybe we'll have him on and have some, uh, some fun talk. Although he's such a serious dude, I don't know if he'll relax and have fun. No, he's got to relax. We got to. Yeah, I remember eighteen. I mean, eighteen's a big one. It, it, obviously, you can vote, but more importantly, I thought for some reason I should go buy cigarettes and a lottery ticket. No, because <laughs> I could. Just because I could. I was like, I'm eighteen. Uh, I'll be. You know. So we may do that uh, and see what what he has to say about turning eighteen. What it what it what it means. Whether it really feels different or not. I wonder if I'll be that way when I turn 65 where I'm like, we're going to Luby's. I'm getting that senior discount. <laughs> I wonder if I'll be as excited about that as I was when I turned 21 and I could legally buy alcohol. I don't know. I don't know. I've got a – see, I've, I turned a double nickel this year. I mean, next year. There you January. go. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, I don't you know, know why. certain don't know numbers why, are good. I, I am. Yeah, I've, I don't know. Double nickel seems like a fun number, so I'm gonna try to ride with it, rock with it. <laughs> there you go. You should. You should get uh, Leighton Vanderess jersey. Nah. <laughs> Pass. Speaking of that, yes. As, as we as we move off this topic down the rabbit why? hole, why? Why? Yeah, I mean it was a quality topic though. It was. But Damn. Why have you been so insistent on talking shit about Rockwall and Desoto? Oh, 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 you want to talk about this now? <laughs> I just want, I just don't know the answer. Like, I was not Matt talking went to Rockwall. Shit. Yes, you were. No, some, uh, you know, one of our my podcast son listeners. plays for DeSoto. I do the radio broadcast for DeSoto that you can hear each and every Friday on 660 AM, uh, K Sky. And, uh, you know. Oh, shit, but really? Matt I used just, to work at K Sky. Did you see? Look yeah. at us brothers. In more ways than one. But Matt oh. just jumped off the top rope this week. Yeah. Just started taking shots at my team. No, what happened was is that somebody tweeted at us and said, Hey, are you guys going to make a wager on the podcast on the Rockwall DeSoto game? And I just responded, yeah. No, because Jacques knows Rockwall's going to whip their ass, which you do. It's just true. I think I that's don't. fair. I think, um, I, see, I actually looked up a few things about this. I mean, they're both kind of uh, similar teams in terms of the rank rating in the state. I think Rockwall is 13th and DeSoto's 15th. Rockwall's got the better quarterback. Uh, big time dude leads the, uh, I think he's has he owns the state 6A record for touchdowns. Yeah, passes. he does, yeah. Um, and so uh, I think they've got a better offense. Um, but, you know, any team – that won a game or lost a game 79 to 71. I mean, you do have to look at them and go, do y'all play any defense? Yeah, when they want to. <laughs> and so um, I think that, uh, and I thought actually Rockwell was a better team. 
And then last week, DeSoto shocked me by playing their best game of the season by far against a, a, an opponent that some people actually thought would beat them in the first round. And so now I've kind of switched my guys. If they both play their A game, I think DeSoto wins. If DeSoto brings something less than their A game, then they're going to have a hard time winning. Mm. See, I think if they both bring their A game, Rockwall wins. Well, see, I'm going to say this. Because Braden Locke is their quarterback, and, and he's a third-year starter. You know, he was a first-year starter when, when Jackson was there as a senior. And that dude can sling it, man. He's going to Mississippi State, got a scholarship to go play in the air raid for Mike Leach. And, I mean, he he's a legit quarterback. He, he I mean, he's about to play right. in the SEC. He can sling it around. And I have a hard time believing that if he's on his game as a third, as a three-year starting quarterback at the high school level, he can take this team some places. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's and that's you know Desoto's offense uh, is where they'll you know they'll be able to match Rockwell, but it's on defense where you know I'm interested to see if some of their playmakers in the secondary because um, they've got a kid named. Uh, you know, Devin Bobby, who's fantastic. He's a free safety, and uh, he's going to Baylor, and he's a bona fide playmaker. And uh, they get the two cornerbacks are playmakers. And so it's just a matter of um, will Locke make any mistakes? And if he does, will they take advantage of him? That's why I say I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I wouldn't surprise It should be. It's Rockwell. Both teams, you know, if both teams were in the 50s, it would not surprise me at all. I mean, Rockwall give up some points for the most part, although they thumped North Garland last week, 55-14. to 14. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, they, 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 there are two losses. One of them you were talking about. I'm glad you brought that up since it was Rockwall Heath that beat them in double overtime, 79-71. to 71. I'm going to tell you, and I have no idea how this is going to play out. DeSoto has a wild card. I, am, I, I just want to see if they play it. And this is the wild card. DeSoto the last few weeks has been running the ball. One of my son's friends, a guy named Chris Henley, has been doing a really good job. A couple weeks ago he had like 29 for 265. The week before that he had like 198. Now, he's, he's not a take-it-to-the-house guy, but he's a very physical guy, really good running back. He's not the wild card. Matt, and I have, again, and I'm not even talking out of turn, I was told about four weeks ago, somebody walked up to me before the broadcast and said, you need to come check the freshman game out next week. I said, for what? He goes, there's a grown-ass man playing running back on a freshman team, and you need to check him out. And I said, all right, what's his name? He goes, I don't even know. Just get there, and he'll look like a grown man, and everybody else will look like a little kid, and you'll know who he is. And I had, and so I didn't go. And a couple weeks later, somebody said, dude, you got to check out this freshman running back. I didn't think anything about it. So DeSoto's in the in the playoffs last week, and they're playing their game. They're playing Harker Heights, and they're blowing them out. You know, I can't remember. It seemed like the score was like 59 to 21 or something like that. And all of a sudden, I hear the sideline getting hyped. They've put the freshman running back in the game. They brought him up for the playoffs. Mm. He goes off right end, and I'm like, oh, my God. He is picking them up, putting them down. 65 yards around right in on his first varsity carry. Tweet, tweet, tweet. There's a flag. Holding. Bring it back. I said, damn. Sideline was going crazy. All of a sudden, everybody's like, ah, oh, sorry, sorry, man. Dude, 10 yards back. 
They give him to him on a counter playoff left tackle. He goes 75 yards for a touchdown. And my point is, I wonder if they're going to unleash him in the playoffs because this dude is special. The other running backs are good. This dude is special. And I wonder if they have the gumption to put a freshman, not start him or anything, but give him some opportunities Mm -hmm. to see if he can be a difference maker in a game where you know the other offense is putting up 40 when the game starts. It's just a matter of how much more than 40 that they'll get. Yeah, and, and I mean, we know this. It, at this level, if you've got a guy like that, I mean, you can ride that dude to the state semifinals like Rockwall did Jackson Smith and Jigba a couple years ago. Yeah, that's that's why I said it's a wild card, yeah. but I have no idea whatsoever whether they'll unleash the wild card or whether they'll be like, well, we can't really do it because we got these other kids who've played all year on the varsity, blah, blah, blah. I literally have no idea. I'm just fascinated to see how it will uh, transpire. We shall see, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Rockwell to win. I know it's a shock. Yeah, Yeah, I I figured you would. But, hey, jacket fight never dies. You got a score for us? Yeah, I think Rockwall is going to win this game. I'm going to call it at 57 to 49. All right. See, I think think if DeSoto can bring its running game and be a balanced offense, and they've done that the last three weeks, then I think they can control the game enough to win it something like 49-45. Okay. All right. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'll have my stinger up, you know, which is kind of a lame thing, but is what it is. So we move on, and before we get into our conversation with Chill, let's tell you about JR and his guys at Freeway Tire Shop. You can request a quote. You can schedule your appointment. I don't know why you haven't already. Online at freewaytireshop.com from state inspections and oil changes to heavier mechanic work. He's worked on all of Jacques' cars, and as we tell you all the time, this is the guy. We found him for you. You can trust him. He does the work. He stands behind his work at Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, JR is my boy, man. And that's because I trust him, man. <laughs> I've got six cars, brother. Something's all wrong with them. They're all paid for except one, so don't trip on it. But uh, what I love about JR, man, is he diagnoses a problem. I trust him to do that. I trust him to use quality parts. That's a big deal, man, to fix the problem. I trust him to charge me a fair freaking price, which don't always happen when you go to the mechanic. And then finally, man, I trust him to stand behind his work. Jared does all those things time and time and time and time again. That's why I send everybody to him. He's a great mechanic. He runs a great business. And give him a shot if your car needs anything from an oil change to a new engine to a state inspection. They'll make it happen for you. It is Freeway Tire Shop. Again, as I mentioned, it's just north of downtown Dallas, right off of I-35. Request your quote. Schedule your appointment. Let them know you heard about it on the Jam Session podcast. Again, Freeway Tire Shop. Also, of course, another local family-owned business, HFX Foundation Solutions. You know, as you come to the end of the year, look, maybe you already had an estimate, you want a second opinion, whatever the case may be. You started to see some cracks in your foundation, things like that. When you call HFX Foundation Solutions, it's not some dude that works on commission. It's Aaron. He'll come out personally, so he's working with you directly. It's a local family-owned business that cares, and they now offer... Quick and easy, 
third-party financing. It's a no-obligation inspection. It is much better for you to call and have them come out. If you have a problem, trust me, when it comes to this, you definitely want to catch it early. Dude, there's a reason why I call it a colonoscopy for your house. I mean, it's simple. You have Aaron come out. doesn't cost anything for that kind of inspection. You know, uh, have them check your house out, give you a clean bill of health. You got nothing to worry about. If there is an issue, chances are, chances are you found it before it becomes a major issue. Cost you a fraction of the cost to get it fixed than if it's a major issue. Give Aaron a call. Let HFX come check your house out and give you some peace of mind. The number is 817-770-0174. Again, 817-770-0174. Or you can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. All right, let's do this thing. He joins us every week. You know his work well. Longtime Cowboys beat writer with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram brought to you by Soda Weight Loss. It is Clarence Hill Jr. What do you take away from Atlanta, Chill? A week after a 30 to nothing score against Denver, the Cowboys absolutely obliterate the Falcons. What, what do we learn? Anything? You know what? I learned something I never even thought I'd be talking about, but I learned about monkey butt. <laughs> monkey, monkey butt. butt. Well, fair enough. Learn about red-ass, weak, and monkey butt. No, I mean, what you learned was the Cowboys said different was themselves and wasn't themselves. You know, against Atlanta, that was themselves. They they got, you know, upset and, and, and focused and wanted to let everybody know this is who we are. That wasn't who we are. We told them that wasn't who we were. This is who we are. And they had the best game. The season had the best game several seasons. But if we look how the defense played, I mean, that was a emphatic, performance all all three levels offense defense special teams you know it's been a long time we've seen a Cowboys team play that well a lot of people have been dismissing it as hapless Atlanta that was not a hapless Atlanta they just come off beating New Orleans in New Orleans Matt Ryan just come off becoming the NFC player of the week and he had his worst effort ever in his career worst quarterback rating in 14 year career worse than any in his rookie season with this Cowboys defense who are playing without Randy Gregory, who are playing without DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, still playing without Neville Gallimore, and they got it done. So, hats off to the coaching staff, hats off to the team, uh, getting Dan Quinn, you know, still working magic. The Cowboys team, you know, again, we talked about this a season, you know, having a chance to be special, that they keep, you know, showing us that, that, that they're headed in the right direction. When you look at the uh, Cowboys, I think I saw on Twitter, Lyle Collins said he'll be starting – I assume that means, and we know about assuming, I assume that means Tyron Smith will play left tackle. How does that make them better if Lyle Collins is your tackle and uh, Terrence Steele is uh, off to the bench now? I mean, it makes them better because Lyle Collins is better than Terrence Steele. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest about it. I mean, Terrence Steele had a nice run, and and, and, and what he did certainly was yeah, out of the left field based on what we saw from him last year. And everybody was, you know, just happy that he was able to to be solid and, and, and written out not be a liability, but his top end game is not better than Lyle's top end game. We knew that once Tyron Smith came back, that Lyle was going to be the right tackle. I think it helped that Tyron Smith, you know, at least from Lyle Collins' standpoint, had to go out and it, it was a seamless transition. You know, they, they moved, you know, did the right thing and moved left, uh, still to left tackle. That Tyron gets settled in at right tackle. He's had a couple of games, he's getting better each game. And we're starting to see the you know, the the, the uh, Leo Collins of old, but this is what they like. The Cowboys are going to be what they want to be. They need their best players up front, and the best part of it is you know 
you have confidence in Terrence Steele coming in and playing even left and right tackle if he need be. So, you know, it's a good thing for the Cowboys, but there's no shock that that, that uh that Tyron Smith is, I mean the Leo Collins is starting the right tackle. When you look at Kansas City in this matchup they've got coming up this weekend, going on the road to Arrowhead, it's a weird Kansas City team because, yeah, they're 6-4 and four and they've beaten, they just whipped up on the Raiders, but the week before they barely beat the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. What do you take away from where this Chiefs team is at this point in the season? You know, I've been analyzing, I've been analyzing, people have been calling me a hater and whatever else, but you know, as I continue to look at the Chiefs and what they've done this year and what they've done in past years, and, and you know, I, we marveled at the magical play of of uh, Patrick Mahomes. And we marveled his ability to pull a rabbit out of his hat and make the no-look pass and do unconventional things. And we, did, we marveled at him doing things against football wisdom, against Conventional football wisdom, throwing back across the middle, throwing the ball up, having this guy make plays. Uh, I think he got away with it. The pass is not getting away with it now. You know, even that game last week, if you if you truly watched that game last week, and the numbers were great, four and six yards, five touchdowns. But they dropped three picks, you know, in, in the Raiders game we're talking about. And – one of those touchdowns was a YOLO to a running back in the end zone who somehow jumped in front of the defense back to catch the ball. That was not a good decision. So they're still doing some of the same things that burned them earlier in the year that caused the turnovers. I still think that's something the Cowboys can take advantage of. You watch the two offenses, and, you know, the, the teams have been the standard bearer, the most explosive offense running over everybody in the league for the last couple of years. And you watch the Cowboys, what they're doing this year, the number one ranked offense, in terms of yards and scoring, there's a fluidity to what the Cowboys do. There's a rhythm to what the Cowboys do. You watch the Chiefs, there's no rhythm. There's Patrick Mahomes, you know, playing YOLO football, playing playground football, so the offensive line is not, you know, blocking for him. They don't have a good running game. He has to extend plays, and most of the things they do is come off him extending plays and making something happen. That's not how you want to consistently play football. True that. Well, what do you think is the difference this week? Because they still I mean, got to stop that Kansas City offense. To me, the yeah. difference is to, to me the difference in the game. Can the Cowboys defense uh, prevent the big play and continue to make you know force Mahomes to make mistakes? I, there's no doubt in my mind the Cowboys will move the ball and score points on the Kansas City defense, which is horrible. They will find Thorns. They will find forty-one. They don't have a good pass rush. They like the blitz. Dak is great against the blitz. Dallas will make plays and move the ball. But the question is, will the Cowboys defense contain Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Kels and not let them get in the rhythm and, and get get them to make some of the mistakes they, mistakes they made early in the season? I mean, they had the great game. Again, you, you, you just said it. They had the great game against the Raiders, but the Raiders are a mess going through whatever they, they're going through mentally and, and, and decision-making of their quarterback. But they barely beat Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers, they didn't score a lot of points in that game. They looked great in that game. And, you know, Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers is not, you know, great shape. So uh, it, it's up to this Cowboys defense. Tell me, can they get heat on the quarterback? I, I look for Michael Parsons to, to be over pass rushers. We get heat on the quarterback. That's his focus. And, and certainly limiting the big play and tackling those Chiefs when they get the ball because Chiefs are number one in the league in, in yards after catch. But, of course, they've been behind a lot. They've been throwing a lot. They've been turning a lot. So they have a lot, a lot of opportunities to do that. But, you know, 
this Chiefs offense has two players, or at least weapons outside of Pat Mahomes, and that's Kelsey and uh, certainly Tyrus Hill. No one else scares you on that Chiefs offense. Yeah, that's true. I mean, neither of the running backs do. I mean, Damian Williams has basically replaced Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the guy they prefer. And outside of that, I think they were hoping that Hardman would be able to do something opposite Tyreek Hill, and, and he's just kind of been a guy. Hardman, you know, I've looked at it, and I've talked about it. We've been talking about this all week, of course. But you look at the, the, the weapons, and, and you look at the, the Cowboys are more explosive, and they have more weapons. They have more weapons. Yes, you have Tyreek Hill, and you have Travis Kelsey. But the next six guys, I look at the most dangerous guys on the field, five or six, they're Cowboys. They're the Cowboys receivers plus the Cowboys two running backs. And you can throw Hardman in there, you know, but 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 as far as numbers of weapons, numbers of guys that can make plays for you, numbers of ways you can get beat, you know, the Cowboys have more weapons, more ways to do that. And, again, they have an offense that's playing with, with more consistency and more rhythm. It sounds like you think the Cowboys in a blowout. I like that. I don't think the Cowboys are going to blow up because it's Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. And, you know, again, he pulls rabbits out of the hat. That's what he does. I mean, you know, again, he 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 has a knack for making YOLO plays. They're not, a, again, they're not smart football players. You go back to check, that's what he does. He, he runs around and makes some things happen. And the Cowboys, again, their, their pass rush is not what it, it, it was surprisingly good last week. But it was, yeah, I would I would much rather see, you know, Randy Gregory and D. Lau out there helping Michael Parsons get to the quarterback. You know, that, that, that certainly would, would, would be a difference, but you have to get to the quarterback. You know, Michael Parsons does remind you of some of those, those, those Tampa Bay linebackers that was running them other direction, but it was just one. He, he needs more, more help. He needs more guys helping him get out to the quarterback. But no, it won't. That, 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 it's not just the Mahomes, it's that stadium, too. I mean, this is the loudest stadium in the league. Mike McCarthy talked about this place outdoors in Kansas City being louder. It indoors in Minnesota. And if you know how loud Minnesota is indoors, but that crowd yeah. in that stadium is louder outdoors in Kansas City than it is indoors in Minnesota. That tells you everything you know about that crowd. You need to know about that crowd. And so that's part of it, the silent count, you know, dealing with that crowd noise, especially when they're on offense and, and the silent count. So those are all going to be part of the equation. But just, you know, what we've seen on paper, what we've seen on the field and the players, the Cowboys should win this game. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I think the Cowboys, Jacques and I, we talked about this on the last episode that we did. If they both bring their A games, I think the Cowboys are a better team in all phases of the of the game than the Chiefs are at this point. Oh, all three phases for sure. They're a better team, and you got a better coaching staff. I mean, they 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 they, they got things going. So you you just look at all of that. You know, the Chiefs are six to four. They're trying to get their mojo back. They're trying to get their confidence back. So this would be a big game for them, you know, to prove that they're headed back in the right direction after, you know, starting the season three and four, you know. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to, 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 to head in the right direction. But, but again, you know, uh, you know, this is a medicine game for the Cowboys. The good thing about Mike McCarthy, he's not denying it. He's not running from it. He said, you know, you go, you look at the end of the season, you know, when you get to your journey, you can look back and say this, is, this, this was an important game in that process. And this is a game the Cowboys need to win. If this is going to be a special season, you know, they need to go up to Kansas City and, and beat them. You know, Dak Prescott has outplayed uh, Patrick Mahomes all season. Dak, Dak Prescott should be an MVP favorite. He win this game, he will be MVP favorite. He'd be in the driver's seat for the MVP award, but he needs to outduel him on Sunday. I'm a little surprised that uh, when talk of the MVP comes up, 
he hasn't really been included yet. Does that surprise you? Who? Dak. I mean, just that he's below like Rodgers and like I thought he would just be more in the terms of the top of the conversation as opposed to the bottom of the conversation, trying to really get into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, obviously missing the game and that Denver game didn't help. Uh, but uh, I mean, I think he's been in, on, on in the fringes of the conversation all season, you know. But 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 win this game, and, you know, and he, that's why you let it play out because you know Tom Brady was you know one of the leading candidates, but now he got three losses and just lost at Washington. You know, and, and so Matt Stafford did some of the conversations, and he just, you know, lost back-to-back games. You know, so you just got to let it play out, and, and that's, you know, that's why we play a full season. But you you win at Kansas City, you're already number one rated pass in the league. Uh, you're, you're, you're number two in, in completion percentage. You know, you win this game at Kansas City, you're going to be number one as far as the MVP talk. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. It feels like there's a lot of weight riding on this game for, and, and I don't. I get it. They're seven and two. I think win or lose, this is still a good Cowboys team. I didn't think losing to Denver like the way they did made them not a good team, but it feels like nationally there's a lot of thought and a lot of eyes on this game to see. Okay, where exactly are the Cowboys? Are they up there where they think they they can be? But they've got to beat Kansas City first. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I, I think that again. Uh, one of those minutes again, again, Mike McCarthy talked about it. You know, you look at this game, this game is important. You you have to win a game like this on the road. It's better with a Chiefs team that's not hitting on all cylinders. This is not the Chiefs team of a couple of years ago. You 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 have to be the wounded team. You know, if you're the better team, be the better team on Sunday, not just on paper. Not just when you play the likes of Atlanta. You gotta do it against good teams and and, and, and as you look at the great quarterbacks and the great teams, you know, when when Tampa, when when, when Tom was in in uh, New England when they faced head-to-head games against other good teams. They usually won, you know. And the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. You you got to win these games, no matter where the locality is. You know, as you march toward the Super Bowl, as you march toward having a special season. No, no one said it's easy. No one said it's going to be. You know, it wasn't going to be tough, and this is going to be a tough environment. But this is a game the Cowboys need to win. Zeke said, or did, or I heard what he said, and I read it, but how did he say it in terms of y'all act like every week is a statement game? You know, I, I think that the players have to say what they have to say to downplay things. This is just one of sixteen. This is, you know, you know, and I, I brought up, you know, well, when you're at Ohio State, Michigan won no just a regular game. Well, that's the greatest rivalry in the world. Well, you beat them like nineteen straight times. You know. So I think that part of them want to down, but like last week, all week, you know, Dan Quinn, oh, the Atlanta game doesn't mean nothing. That Atlanta doesn't mean nothing. But after the game, it meant a lot. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> but but the good thing is, you know, Mike McCarthy, Dak, Amari Cooper talked about the excitement of playing this game and facing that offense and matching the Chiefs and, 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 the, and, and what it means for the team. There's no question that as a team they feel that you know, this is a similar six game statement against the big game. You you play against a team that won a Super Bowl and, and, and has been in the conversation. You're going to up your ante. It's different. You don't have a different attitude toward that game. It's human nature. You have a different attitude toward that game than you will a game against Denver. And we all know that. But players and they like to do the coach speaking. Coaches do too. Sometimes you know Mike McCarthy again is not using that this week. But players like to you know say you know they're all the same and. You know, it's, it's one of 16, and we treat every week like this. But we all know the truth that they don't. Right. 
This is not really anything to do with the Chiefs game, just kind of a, a Cowboys cleanup in general. But what's the word on Tank and, and when he might be back, especially considering you know, they've got these these three games in 12 days and all that? I mean, I, I, think that, I think that the Cowboys are erring on the side of Carson because they plan so well and done so well without them. That they're going to just kind of wait. And people was on the radio saying it could be three or four weeks. So I'm, I'm thinking after the Saints game. Mm. You know, you play the Chiefs, you play the Raiders, you got the Saints, then you got 10 days before you play again. And so I think that he said that, at least on the radio today, he said that Gallimore, Randy Gregory, and, and uh, Tank are three or four weeks away. And so I'm, I'm thinking they're targeting after the Saints game. Uh, before we let you go, man. You were all over Twitter talking about you ain't watched Longhorns play this week. What's up? What's, what's <laughs> Why up would you? God. Because uh, I did have things going on in my life, and I had some things, people in town, and had some events going on, and I did not watch the game. When people think I'm lying, I did not watch the game. Number one, why would I watch the game? Because Kansas, you're supposed to be Kansas. Okay? So I didn't have, you know, beating Kansas was going to say that they're fit or they're back or they're ready to go. And so I was not going to prioritize the game against Kansas over some of the other things that I, I, I was doing and had to do this weekend. So I did not make a point to watch the game. And you don't have I to be said, all upset about it. Huh? You don't have to be all angry about it. I just asked you oh, a question. Because <laughs> you, you put me in a defense like I'm lying, like I didn't watch the game. And it's not I just you, but other people. I believe other you. People act like, I, like I watched the game. I'm just saying that as a defensive mechanism. I mean, I, I listen, I owned it. I talked about it. I, you know, I have no problem saying Texas sucks when they suck and when they play bad, you will see me that you if you didn't see me tweet during the game and going off during the game, that you know I'm not watching the game. Okay, and you that you have no tweets for me. You have no tweets for me during that game. Okay, well then just well, what the fuck is wrong with Texas? <laughs> lots, I mean the lots, short version, not the long version. Just short I, I version. don't have a good version because none of it makes sense to me. But it is not just about attrition. It's not just about depth. It's not just about recruiting. Because Kansas beat them with a walk-on. A walk-on caught, I think the game went a touchdown pass, something like that. They beat them with a walk-on, okay? So it's not just about all that other stuff that they're throwing out there. There's a disconnect with the administration, certainly with the coaches and the players. You have a new staff. What they're trying to do is, is certainly not working. Uh, I don't like the defense. Didn't like the choice of defense coordinator. Going to, to the Pac-10 to find a defense coordinator was stupid to me. And, and now they can't stop the run. And, you know, whoever thought you were going to get a, go to the Pac-10 and get a, a Pac-12, whatever it is, to get a defense coordinator, that, that doesn't work for me at all. But, yeah, there, there, there's something going on. And, and you can talk about the players all you want to, but when you blow four straight games or second-half lead, that's on the staff. That's something you, what you're doing is, is, is not resonating because you are not managing the game right that you're blowing leads like this. That's just not the players. That's just not Okay, one last, because one last it, question about Texas. Is Sark still the right guy? <laughs> I'm just asking. We don't know, but he gonna he gonna give another he gonna get another year. He gonna get another year. The problem is that all the momentum he hoped to build in recruiting, he's not getting it. And so that that that's what's setting him back. You hope to have a solid season and build some momentum to get some recruits you wouldn't get. Ain't no, I mean, you know, Elon. I mean, then Arch Madden ain't coming for this mess. Why you come and be the savior, man? It's like church, man. Can I get one? Can I get one? That's Can why Bijan came. Come on. 
Yeah, can I turn it around? Is there one? Is there one? Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your friend. Everybody close your eyes. Can I just get one to commit to Texas? That's a motherfucker. Was the salad years of Texas football? They was they was they was going to the bowl, winning games. <laughs> All right, well, man, I'm sorry. Hey, Sometimes it's still, it's we still a have... top seven class, you know. That's hey, something. Some, Sometimes we gotta okay. have these tough conversations, man. You know, we don't want to, but you know, the people want to know. All right, Listen to people. I, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, we appreciate it, man. All right, All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, there he is, Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. <laughs> it's true, Texas is still seventh in recruiting ranking. Hey, dog, it doesn't yeah. matter. They need a quarterback. If they get a quarterback, we could be singing a different song next year. Um, the two guys they got, you know, Thompson and uh, Hudson Card. So far, it's like whatever, dog. Yeah, and that's the thing is you wonder, you know, with Hudson Card, who was the fourth overall recruit at quarterback in his class two years ago, that just likes like he just doesn't have it for whatever reason. And they got Malik Murphy coming in in this 2022 class, who is I think if I remember correctly, he's either 10th or 11th at the quarterback. So he's not I'm interested in Quinn Ewers like it was supposed to be, obviously, right. and it, it's not even a guy higher than that, but. We'll see. I mean, Arch Manning is that 2023 gold mine. Everybody on the planet would give that team, that kid and that family, whatever he wants to come to their program. Well, so I'll be curious to see what he decides to do. Dude, I think uh, this is just me and we're, we're, we've gone off a of track for a second, but that's what our podcast is about. We, we can do whatever, whatever we, we want to do. Exactly. If you look at the Manning boys, when Peyton went to Tennessee, Tennessee was good, but it's not like they were Alabama is right now. Right. You know, Eli went to Old Miss. And my only point is those guys know basically I can go wherever I want to go. I'm gonna be a difference maker. Mm-hmm. Um and so if he likes Texas and he likes Austin, this is all Arch Manning's going to do. He's going to say, Hey, I'm going to Texas. Hook him. Who wants to ride with me and turn Texas back to what it used to be? And then a bunch of five star receivers. And everybody else will follow him to Texas. Yeah. Because he's got that kind of and that's the way they do it now, because they're all they all know each other on social media. They're the top recruits in the country. They all know each other. They're at the same camps and all this other stuff. And so I don't think this year it's much more to me about whether he believes in Sark and what Sark is doing at Texas. Because if he looks at that offense and goes, Oh, you could put me in this offense and we can do this thing, then he'll he he'll he'll go to Texas. Uh, but I think those guys, they know how to get to the NFL. They know it doesn't really matter what school they go to. Then, you know, he can go wherever he wants to go. Yeah, that's true. We'll see. It, it, it's very interesting. And, and look, reality of it is, that's one of the most interesting things to me. I actually had somebody, Taylor Estes, who covers the Longhorns for Horns 24-7, you know, Chip Brown's tied into all that and stuff. I had her on my show yesterday and asked her about that. I said, you know, it's interesting to me, that despite the fact that we're seeing this Texas fall off a cliff, nobody, at least up to this point, nobody has flipped and Stark is still pulling in a top seven recruiting class. And she said that that's been one thing that they have really focused on is that he is letting people know that apparently they there's guys on this team that they don't want on the team next year. Oh, that's obvious. That they that they really believe they're going to be bringing in at least 33 new scholarship players and they are trying to turn the roster over as much as they can to get in the type of guys that Sark wants. 
So I think it's interesting, and, and we'll see. There's still a couple of other guys that are out there. We talked about this the other day. I don't know if they'll go to Texas or not. They're both right now listed as favorites to go to Texas, and they're two of the top 15 recruits in the country. And if they get both those guys, they'll jump into the top five. And, and that would be mind-boggling for a Texas program that could potentially finish four and eight to have a top five recruiting class. Nah, bro, I, I guarantee you, as much as I know, <laughs> that Sark and all those coaches are picking up the phone. They're going, hey, Matt, we're cleaning house, brother. Don't don't worry. All that stuff you you, yeah. you watch, don't worry, bro. We are cleaning house. Uh, we're going to bring in one of the top classes in the country, and here's what we're going to do, Matt. The holes that we have, because everybody who's not with the program, Matt, they won't be here next year. And we're bringing in this class, and the holes that we have, Filled in from the guys that we're that are leaving and the class doesn't cover. Matt, we're going to the transfer portal and we are filling up all those holes with guys that want to be here, guys that want to play, and we'll have a good team next year. And when you come, man, we'll have a great team. Yeah, and, and that's what another thing that I was told is that one of the things that is really helping them is some of these big time recruits, they watch, they know Texas isn't any good. And it's some in some cases, you can go to these recruits and you can say, Come to Texas, you're on the field next year. Go to Alabama, I don't know. You're sitting, what, two years while you're waiting for the guys ahead of you to get out into the NFL before you get your shot? You come to Texas, you can see our team. You know, you come to Texas, you're a four- or five-star recruit, you will be starting next year. And we they can basically guarantee that. And, and I think, you know, that's another one of those things that these kids these days, that's why the transfer portal's the way it is. A lot of kids don't want to sit for a year or two. They want to walk in and play immediately. Before we get into our next conversation, a couple more of our sponsors to tell you guys about. And of course, we're getting to that time of the year, man. It is Thanksgiving next week. You're going to be wanting, you're probably going to have some family members in. And I know some people that'll have it where like their family comes in for like a couple of days, not just day of. Take them to Smokey John's Barbecue. Take them over there and grab the Jam Session Bowl. It is only available to Jam Session listeners. It is a secret menu item at Smokey John's Barbecue. Jacques had it. I mean, it, it's your choice of two meats. They're going to put that in there. You get to choose mashed potatoes or the made-from-scratch mashed potatoes or the, or the mac and cheese. Top it with your favorite toppings, including real bacon bits, and drizzle it with some Smokey John's Barbecue sauce all in one bowl and only for Jam Session listeners. Dude, it's fantastic. Um, I, had, I was hanging out with a friend today, and he was like, dude, you talk so much about that jam session bowl. Let's go get one. Mm. I was like, bro, you should have mentioned that before we headed to the, because we were headed toward Arlington. Yeah. I said, it's too far to go back the other way. I said, next time we get together, let's go try it and uh, you'll love it. I said, trust me, you'll love it. Let's just plan the schedule a little better so we get over there. But uh, it's your choice of mac, mac and cheese or mashed potatoes as a base. Two out of five meats, help yourself. Put that, I like to call it the baked, baked potato uh stuff on top of it you know mm. chives sour cream all that kind of stuff yep. drizzle it with that sauce man it is scrumptious and filling and uh dude when i had mine i ate off of it for three different meals <laughs> now everybody go don't rock like that some of y'all can finish it my stomach has shrunk a little bit over the last couple years but it is hearty and it is delicious and uh i just retweeted somebody on twitter who told me how great it was yeah karen steckley who tweeted at us earlier this week and said before heading to the Red Wings game, and I'm, I'm, I debated whether or not I was going to throw this out there because he's obviously a Red Wings fan. Right, right, right. 
but he did go to Smokey John's. He said, before heading to the Red Wings game, tried Smokey John's barbecue for the first time. Man, y'all. Jacques and Matt <laughs> undersold it. It is a Dallas barbecue must. And then there's a picture of, I believe, his wife, his, his fiance, his girlfriend, whatever, sitting there with the plate of the barbecue and whatnot in front of her. And, and she's just smiling. And they enjoyed it quite a bit. So thanks, Kieran. Appreciate you guys checking that out. And I'm telling you, if you have not been to Smokey John's yet, you need to get over there. They're local. And I'll tell you, if it's not too busy, which usually when I go it is, but if you happen to go and there's not a ton of people there, tell Brent and Juan, man. Be like, hey, hey, guys, I listen to the podcast. And and especially Juan, he, if he's got a second, he'll come over and talk to you about it because he listens every episode. <laughs> he does. He's our, he's our friend. Uh, yeah, man. So, dude, it's uh, it's it's the best, man. Brent and Juan are great. Smokey Johns is fantastic. The food is delicious. And, uh, hey, don't be bashful. Go over there and get some. It is the Jam Session Bowl. If you order it, you get a complimentary drink along with that only for Jam Session listeners at Smokey John's Barbecue. Also, of course, another local family-owned establishment, our buddies over at False Idol Brewing, doing it better than anyone. I can tell you this, in North Texas, man, it is right there in North Richland Hills, just north of 183. They release new beers every Friday. This Friday, they are doing a collaboration release. They did this with Social Project Brewing out of Bentonville, Arkansas. It's one of Bentonville's brand-new breweries. One of the dudes who used to brew at Celestial left Celestial to go start his own thing to specialize in hazies in the Bentonville area because he discovered nobody up there was doing any good. So I can't wait. This is going to be a great one. Anyway, it's an oak-fermented, New England-style double IPA, double dry hopped with Lotus and Ariana hops. The title of the beer is If You Lived Here, You'd Be Home Already. This is going to be fantastic because Lotus is kind of like an orange, vanilla, tropical, fruity type hop that it gives off. And then Ariana is a German hop that gives a pineapple, passion fruit, citrusy vibe. They should work really, really well together, especially that Lotus in an oak fermented type beer. I think this is going to be fantastic and it will be available starting Friday, November 19th at the brewery at False Idol Brewing in North Richland Hills. Sounds fantastic. Good beer. Great beer is what they do indeed they do indeed they do man and i i this is not a lie i bet i bring back four or five cases of their beer when i come home for christmas <laughs> i'm not kidding like i'm gonna swing by the brewery and be like all right what do you guys got give it to me and they're like okay driving like, back you hey. i'll be driving back i'll have uh, to have yeah. my car yeah because we're gonna be going to the lady friend's family as well so uh, instead of having multiple flights trying to get you know from here to little rock to dallas to here it's just easier to drive i got you I instead got of you. dealing so, with yeah, all that there's no doubt you'll have a bunch of beer in the back then. Yeah, and that's also part of the reason why we want to drive. Seriously. So I wanted to get into this just real quick because it looks like this is going to be official. The Dallas Mavericks, I saw this report from Mark Stein earlier today. Your old buddy. The Dallas Mavericks are going to retire Dirk Nowitzki's number 41 jersey. Yes, sir. January 5th. That's a hell of a day to retire his jersey. January 5th. is That's your birthday, isn't it? You're damn right it is. Yeah, it is. The Dallas Mavericks will retire Dirk Nowitzki's number 41 jersey. It is a game against Golden State. And they say that resale prices, people started putting it together because resale prices for that game started to skyrocket. And so now, right. you know, everybody wants to go. And that's when... 
Brad Townsend tweeted it out, and he said that an announcement should be official on Friday, but that, yes, they do plan to retire his jersey that night. They will raise it to the rafters alongside the other three Mavs. Stop, 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 stop. I know what you're doing here, Matt. I know what you're doing. Let's just celebrate Dirk, man. I'm just saying (laughs) there are other Mavs who have had their numbers retired. Number 12 of Derek Harper. Superstar player. The number 22 of Rolando Blackman. Superstar player. Perennial all-star. And the number 15 of Brad Davis. (laughs) He's done a hell of a job as Chuck Cooperstein's uh, color guy. (laughs) He's on that broadcast with Coop? Yeah. That's weird. Every time I listen, I never hear him. Stop, 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 bro. Oh, that was awesome. (laughs) It's true, though. I got to tell you, man, for a long-ass time, now you got to go old-school Mavs to really understand. I I don't think people appreciate Rolando Blackman the way that they should, honestly. Hell no, they don't. And I don't know why. I guess it's because that era of the Mavs, People don't realize, you know, that that's still a Mavs team that took the Lakers to game seven of what was that, the 88 Western Conference Finals? Yeah. You know, and this is a dude in Rolando Blackman who was a core probably, you know, Mark Aguirre for a while, obviously, but it was him and Rolando Blackman, man. And, and, and Rolando Blackman was the dude. And, you know, my favorite numbers are 22 and 15. And when I was a kid playing high school basketball, I was like, well, this sucks. If I get drafted by the Mavs, I'll never be able to wear my favorite number. <laughs> you just had to deal with it, bro. I know. And, and it's, it's funny, too, because people forget, much like Derek Harper, who was also a huge part of those Mavs. Like, to me, I always thought it was interesting Brad Davis had his number retired. Harper and Blackman make colossal sense to me. Right. I, I, I mean, if I was going to say... Before the modern era Mavs, I mean, before Dirk and, and Steve Nash and all them, you know, you can make a case if you want to fight for Mark Aguirre, whatever, fine. But if I could only retire two Mavs jerseys, I, it would be Derek Harper and Rolando Blackman up until the new era of Dirk starting in 99. True that, true that, true that. You'd get no argument from me on that. And it's funny, too, because, you know, Derek Harper, after he left the Mavs, went to the Knicks. So did Rolando Blackman. That's where he finished his career. That's where old Mads go to retire, brother. But, man, I just, I guess, I, I mean, the, the Brad Davis bit, I don't know, man. And I guess it was just because, I don't know why, because he wasn't like an original Mav. Like, they didn't draft him. He had played somewhere else before a couple of times, I think. And then he, he wound up, I, it had to just be because he was here on that original inaugural team and was like the best player of the crappy early 80s Mavs, I guess. Right. Uh, I guess, man. I mean, I can't. I don't really. I don't really have an answer for you. <laughs> we need to go back and look at the stories and figure out why. Yeah, because I'm trying to like. So how about this? So in 1982, 83, he was he's their point guard. He played 30 minutes a night as a point guard. He averaged seven assists, 11 points, and two rebounds a game. Okay. That's that's like a dude coming off the bench for me. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. And even like when he had his, like, 84 and 85, when he was playing 31 and 33 minutes a game, he averaged 11 points, seven assists, and two rebounds. Sometimes you're just in the right spot, man. I That's guess. All I can say. I don't, Sometimes I, you're just in the right spot. 
I think he just happened to be like, hey, you were on the inaugural Mavs team in 1980. You played 12 seasons here. We got to get something up in the rafters. Your number's retired. Right. That sounds good to me. I guess, dude. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but for real, dude, like Dirk's going to be up there and people that have never seen, like kids years from now are going to go in there and be like, oh, I wish I had seen Dirk play. Who's Davis? <laughs> and everybody's going to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Don't forget about that. But he must be as good as Dirk. He's up there with them. You know? They should I mean, put, I... Dirk's banner should be bigger than the others and in a different spot. Stop it, man. Stop it. I'm just saying. Dirk, every, everybody knows Dirk's the baddest man on the planet. Nobody's going to get those guys confused. And that's what uh, Wikipedia is for. <laughs> if you got to figure out the rest of the guys, uh, go to Wikipedia. It, it'll all be good. I mean, don't they have AC Green's like consecutive nights without having sex streak up there? Dude, I mean, you know, for a point, they were so desperate for anything. You know, you know there's a lot of banners going up just so we could put a banner in it because I. Our team in the 90s was trash. <laughs> they were, so. dude. And, you know, it was so weird because A.C. Green, everybody thinks of him with the Lakers in the 80s, and there's a banner for him in his consecutive game streak randomly with the Mavs that he just happened to be on the team when he's when they set that. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, nobody even remembers he plays for the Mavs outside of that banner. You're That's what I'm talking about because he's a Laker. What do you, He played for the Mavs for what, one season, maybe two? I have no idea. I just know he was here for a minute. <laughs> oh, damn. He played. I, I just looked it up. He was here for three seasons. Man. Huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that we none of us knew that speaks volume. It really does, man. But there you have it. Let's get back into football and have a little conversation with Ed Werder. He joins us every week here on the pod. You guys know his work very, very well. He's been doing it for a long time, better than anyone out there from ESPN, our NFL insider, brought to you by Medea from Scratch and their three delicious DFW locations. Ed Werder joining us. And Ed, we we came off of the Denver game wondering, okay, well, you know, we figure Atlanta is a win, but after Denver, who knows? And my goodness, did Dallas just take them out behind the woodshed? What did you take away from the the game and the blowout win over Atlanta last weekend? Yeah, I mean, it was the most one-sided game of the 25-game Mike McCarthy era, winning by 40 points. Uh, I think they pretty much did what they vowed to do. They, They said that, you know, the Denver game wasn't a true indication of the kind of team that they have and that they would uh, make sure that was an aberration. I think they did exactly that. Uh, I like the fact that, you know, McCarthy, to set the tone early in the game, didn't defer when they won the coin toss like they normally do. I uh, wanted the ball, wanted his offense out there, has a lot of faith in the offense, let them go out and play, uh, score a touchdown, and then the Falcons were playing from behind the rest of the game. And uh, I'm sure they'd like a repeat performance against the Chiefs this week and have that same opportunity because I see these teams very much the same way. But I thought it was a really impressive win. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy said it was the highest-graded uh, defensive performance of, in his 25 games as a head coach here. Of course, you have to throw out all of last year's as being a consideration. Um, so it didn't leave a whole lot of, like, what, nine, <laughs> eight other games as possible. But, uh, uh, and he said he'd like to see them build off that. If they, can, if they could do that, that would be quite a feat, considering – who they're up against and where they're up against them this, this week in Arrowhead. Hey, Doc, what do you think about their uh, – and it was a big deal in the game the other day. What do you think about McCarthy's aggressive, aggressiveness on fourth down? 
in general? Well, I, I haven't always agreed with his approach in that regard. Um, uh, but I, I do know that, like against Denver, I think it was a big mistake not to get on the board first. You know, it's fine to go for it um, instead of kicking the long field goal. That's no sure thing. Uh, but but then when he had a second possession and a chance to get up 3-0, you know, I think at some point you have to recognize there's value in, in having the lead, small though it may be. Um, but, you know, when McCarthy, you know, presented himself when he was interviewing for coaching jobs after he got fired in Green Bay, you know, he advertised himself as a successful coach, um, a Super Bowl winning coach, but someone who had evolved in his year away. You know, he was someone with a Super Bowl ring who embraced modern day analytics. And I, and I think he's made, you know, that evident his willingness to go for it on fourth down. He, I mean, he's been questioned about his game management in that regard as far back as the very first game he coached against the Rams last season. Remember when he passed <laughs> on the game tying field goal in the fourth quarter right, in, a, right. in a failed go for it attempt. So, you know, this season Dallas has gone for it on fourth down 17 times. Only three teams have uh, more attempts at this stage of the season, and none of those teams have a winning record. Uh, so they're doing it out of desperation. McCarthy's doing it because that's the way he wants to play. And I guess, hey, he's created the top-scoring offense in the NFL, and he feels like giving Dak Prescott four downs you know, rather than three produces the opportunity to score more points. And so far it's, it's worked to their benefit. It's established. It's consistent with his playing style and the uh, identity that they want to have as a team. Um, but I, I think there are times where he needs to uh, show better judgment and take the field goal um, and, and play for the touchdown, you know, the next time they have the ball. But to his credit, this is what he's done since, since he first came here. Uh, he believes in it. Uh, it seems like it's, it's an approach that the players, at least on offense, embrace. And, and until, you know, it costs them uh, a game uh, this season, they should win. Then I, and he's willing to withstand the criticism, I guess, more power too. When you look at this team, and we all know the offense, we know Dak is playing at an elite level. They're tops in the NFL in points and yards. But even perhaps more interestingly to us this week, Jacques and I have been talking about this, this Dallas defense, they're 10th in the NFL in scoring defense, allowing under 22 points a game. What has Dan Quinn done the most so far this season that has impressed you in this overhaul of the defense? Well, I think he's um, you know, created a week-by-week game plan. Um, I think he's been more willing to make adjustments in the game when he sees things not working the way he expected when they, you know, rehearsed them and practiced them during the week. And I think he's changed his approach from what they did in Seattle in terms of fitting it to the personnel he has here. And I, I think the two best examples are the two guys who are having the most success on defense, and that's Trayvon Diggs, um, who, you know, in Seattle – Quinn did not have corners who switched sides. They uh, they didn't match up a corner like he's done so many times with Trayvon Diggs. Um, and Diggs leads the NFL in interceptions. He gets a lot of penalties, uh, plays an aggressive style. He's going to get burned sometimes. He's going to have to hold sometimes to because he gets beat. Um, and then, then the other guy, I think Micah Parsons. I mean, you know, all the different positions that he's played as a rookie and the, the production that they've gotten out of him is really, truly remarkable what they've been able to do with him. Um, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that this week against the Chiefs. I think he's going to have to have a great game. Um, you know, he's been able to help them make up for uh, the, the loss of Demarcus Lawrence for all but one game and for Randy Gregory's absence 
as an edge rusher. This week will be the third game he misses. At some point, that's probably going to catch up with to them, and this might be the week that happens. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I think they've been a lot more competitive, unpredictable on defense. And obviously, the biggest thing is, is you know, he wanted a team that was going to go get the ball, and they've done that better than almost any defense in the NFL. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two games that they have this year where they didn't get a turnover were Minnesota and Denver, and in those games they scored their fewest points of the season, 16-1 and one and 20 in the other. So they've got to get turnovers. Kansas City has turned the ball over. Uh, they were better about it this week, but they're minus eight in, during the season. The Cowboys are plus five, so that's a huge advantage for Dallas. But I think they have to have the turnovers to succeed with the personnel that they have on defense, at least until you know they start getting Neva, you know, Neville Gallimore back and they get the two edge rushers back. But to, to be – where they are and have the success that they've had. You said a top 10 scoring defense um, to go with the number one ranked offense without the players that they've had on that side of the ball is, is quite a credit, I think, to the players, to Dan Quinn and his staff. Hey, Doug, you mentioned Micah Parsons. Now, I've talked about it quite a bit, so has Matt. What's, the, uh, what's been the most impressive aspect of him as a player to you? Well, I mean, you know, there, I think there were a lot of people – um, I talked to a lot of general managers and coaches when the Cowboys drafted him at 12. And some people questioned, you know, what kind of pro he was going to be. Nobody, everybody thought he was a great athlete, you know, great speed. Um, I think there were people who didn't know in terms of being a football player, you know, if he'd be able to take on blockers, if he'd be able to, to cover in third downs. I think everybody knew he would contribute as a pass rusher. But there were there were people who – you know, weren't sure about his maturity level, weren't sure that he was going to be a, a pro's pro. And I, I think he's demonstrated that from really the beginning now. And he has said, hey, you know, I've got kind of a fun personality and I don't take things too seriously. And, and maybe people misjudge that uh, in the scouting process. And, and I think he's proven that to be true. I think the best example of what a professional he's been as a rookie was, you know, he, he wasn't happy with the way he played. Um, going into the the bye week and so he changed his schedule he started you know going in er an hour and a half earlier and he's continued that and his his play has improved as a result of that so I I think he's kind of answered a lot of questions that that people had in just his first nine games in the NFL as we make the transition and we look towards what we are going to get on Sunday the game of the week obviously the late afternoon kick in Kansas City at Arrowhead against a really interesting Chiefs team that I think it's easy to look at and go, okay, well, they've won four out of five. They just blew out the Raiders on the road last weekend. But then you look at it before that, their other two wins, they beat Washington, they beat the Giants, and they barely got past an Aaron Rodgers-less Packers team. Yeah. What is this Chiefs team? Yeah, I don't know. They're not They're not the dominant team that they – uh, have, have established himself to be in the in the years that Patrick Mahomes has been the starter, you know, going to the, the championship game three times and then winning a Super Bowl. Um, I'm curious to see if he can put together back-to-back performances like he did against the Raiders of 400 yards and five touchdown passes. Um, you know, I think we saw a guy the other night against the Raiders, and this is the quarterback that McCarthy says the Cowboys are preparing for. They're preparing – for Mahomes at his very best. And, you know, that guy is someone who can create plays, uh, uh, 
you know, can, can definitely scramble, extend plays, can throw from every platform, throw left-handed, no-look passes and all that. But I thought the thing he did best against the Raiders and really for the first time this season was show confidence in his offensive line and stay in the pocket and execute within the structure of the offense and take what the defense was giving him and, and, and take the crossing routes and the short stuff and let those guys run after the catch. You know, they had, I think, 246 yards after the catch was the second highest total in the NFL this year in any single game uh, for any team. And the Cowboys don't do that well. They don't tackle well. They don't end the play at the catch. So I think that's one of the places where they're really going to be challenged in this game. And, you know, the other the other place I think is a challenge for them on defense is and not having an established pass rusher. And this is – at some point you think that's got to hurt you and cost you a game. And I think this is the game that could cost them because of some of the other things that we've talked about as far as defensive – you know, issues. But, uh, yeah, they, they haven't been as dominant. They changed out their entire offensive line. Uh, you know, I talked to Andy Reid this week, and he said it wasn't so much that he had, you know, made a coaching point of having Mahomes stay in the pocket and hang with the play that they called as designed and not try to create a different one. Um, but it was more that the offensive line has started to play well together as they've been together now for two months. And if that's true – uh, then, then I think Kansas City uh, will win the division going away. As it, I think the Chargers and, and Raiders have been revealed as uh, less than maybe we thought they were earlier in the year. Well, we know if they're going to win the Cowboys, of course, uh, they're going to have to score some points this week. How do you see them right. attacking Kansas City's uh, somewhat Rudy Poot defense? Yeah, well, you know, Kansas City's defense is—I mean, they got big name players on their on their front four. You know, they got Chris Jones. They brought in Melvin Ingram, Frank Clark, uh, Jaron Reed. And, and so, you know, they run a lot of games up front. I think they're going to be a challenge for the Cowboys pass protection, even if they have Tyron Smith come back. And I think they've targeted this game to bring him back. Still no final decision on that yet. Um, but the thing that worries me about that group of defensive players and the way you know, they're established veteran guys. They, they've been successful. They can mix things up. Jones can play inside and outside. You know, the offensive line, I think they have some weaknesses. And I think, worst of all, they've gotten some really bad penalties. And when you, you know, superimpose the noise that they're going to be subjected to against the guys they're going up against and that environment, uh, I guess I would be concerned if I were the Cowboys about being able to play a clean game and communicate effectively with those guys knowing who they're supposed to be blocking and handle the game that way. Now, the Chiefs do play a lot of two-deep zone, and the Cowboys have shown um, that they're willing to run against those teams, and so maybe they can offset those concerns by running the football effectively against them if they if they do play two-deep zone. And, All right, i got to ask you real quick. See, I jumped in no, fine, you, go ahead, do whatever you want. It's your podcast. Jeez. <laughs> It's what would you show, do with Con- uh, what would you do with Connor Williams, man, and his thirteen penalties? I don't know. I guess I, I don't understand why they're so reluctant to to play Connor McGovern at all at that spot. I mean, it, it seems like they don't even want to play him there. They would rather try to pl- make a center out of him um, than they would make a left guard out of him. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would I would not move Lyle Collins to left guard and play Steele out at, at right tackle. Uh, to accomplish that, 
I think Lyle's a significantly better player than Steele. So I, I guess I would just try to live with him. But, man, leading the NFL in penalties and penalty yardage, and, I mean, he's got to get better or it is going to be a problem that could cost him, you know, a play that, that makes a difference in a game that they win or lose. I'd like for you to. I'd like to invite you to ask a question, Matt. Oh, that's very kind of you. I appreciate this. <laughs> this is what he gets first billing. I mean, it's, it's it's Jacques and Matt. He's first, so I get it. I understand, but oh, come on, buddy. No, I, I'm curious. It's jam, not badge. Exactly. Ed's right. That's exactly what it is. It's jam. You're ahead of me. I understand. But I was going to ask because you were bringing up that noise factor that the Cowboys have to deal with at Arrowhead. Can you kind of explain that a little bit of exactly what that's like down on the field? Because I think people picture it. Yeah, we know it's rowdy and it's loud, but it's also outdoors. So yeah. how much of a problem is it? it? It is kind of remarkable that, you know, it's it's considered, I don't know, the loudest venue, one of the loudest venues in the NFL, and it is an outdoor stadium. Seattle's kind of the same way, though, you know. They're an outdoor stadium, and it's it's that. I don't. Know, it's just such a unique atmosphere, and it you know it, it, they hold it holds a lot of people. Uh, the Chiefs fans don't sell their tickets, don't give away their tickets. So I'd be surprised if Cowboy fans can have a significant presence at this stadium like they did in Minnesota, where I think McCarthy said this week the decibel level there was around 120. And remember, there are quite a few Cowboy, there are probably 30, 40 thousand Cowboy fans there. Well. That's not going to be the case here, and they get up to 143 decibels, so significantly louder. Just makes it hard. You know, the Cowboys like the fact and benefit from the experience Dak has at the line of scrimmage to adjust to to a play when he sees what the defense presents. Communicating that can be harder in this environment, and and then and then Superdome's kind of the same way, and that's their next road game. I just remember. The thing that stands out to me about playing quarterback in a loud venue like that was, you know, Brett Favre told me that playing in the Superdome just physically wore him out as a quarterback because of how how intensely he had to focus from play to play, to calling the play in the huddle, making the change to the line, to executing the play, that kind of focus, and then screaming directions, you know, at the top of his lungs to his teammates to try to change a play or make a sight adjustment or something like that, that he does so routinely that Favre said he would be just physically exhausted from that aspect alone after playing four quarters. And so, you know, the, most of the Cowboys, as McCarthy said, have not played uh, at Arrowhead. Uh, I know that, you know, um, Amari Cooper played for the Raiders, so he's played three games there. And he was, Matt, Michael Gallup said today that uh, Amari Cooper was reminding all of the receivers about how loud it's going to be that you guys need to be looking at each other. We need to be communicating amongst ourselves to make sure we know anything that's changed since we left the huddle and everybody's lined up properly and running, you know, making the right adjustment to whatever it is Dak's calling at the line of scrimmage. It'll be interesting to see how much of that they're able to, to do. I know Dak said that he expects them to be able to handle it and that if they can handle the communication part, in his words, they'll be tough to stop for Kansas City's defense. How do you now – a week later, see the Cowboys fitting into what I call the division of doom, which is really the NFC. Uh, you know, I think the Packers are, are going to be a formidable challenge, especially if they, you know, wind up getting home field advantage. I think Arizona, you know, which is, has kind of been in the top spot, most their last undefeated team, so they've been in the top spot in the NFC uh, most of the year. They have a really difficult decision to make with Kyler Murray this week. You know, they got to go to Seattle. They'd love, I'm sure, to give him another week to get completely healthy and not risk a re-injury. 
kind of like the Cowboys did with, with Dak coming out of their bye, because they have their bye next. Um, and they learned last year, you know, how detrimental it is to have a, an explosive, unique quarterback like Kyler Murray, but have him be hurt and not be fully effective. So I think their first priority has to be to get him completely healthy. And then the Rams, who I think a lot of us thought was a team that the Cowboys would be unlikely to be able to beat, especially if they had to play them on the road. All of a sudden, the Rams look like a team that Green Bay could beat or Dallas could beat because they can run the football, and they, they want to run the football if they if presented the right opportunity. So uh, I think the fact that they got beat as bad as they did by um, by Tennessee and, and then the other night uh, by the 49ers, you know, they've been dominated physically two weeks in a row. I think that has to make the Packers and the Cowboys feel a lot better about the potential of having to play the Rams at some point in the playoffs. When you look at the NFC, and we always talk about the teams that are good, but what team has surprised you so far, a little over halfway through this thing, with how poorly they are at this point, three and six, four and five, what have you? Well, I think the, I think the biggest surprise the surprises are the two teams in in the NFC West. I think the Forty Niners uh, have been a huge surprise to me that that they weren't more competitive, and then Seattle uh, for the for them to rank, you know among the bottom two teams, both offensively and defensively, uh, that's quite shocking to me. I mean, they're all but out of it. Uh, they might be the, the, the first team eliminated from playoff contention this year. And, and they're a perennial contender in the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll area. So I would say those two teams have probably uh, surprised me the most in terms of their failure. I guess the last thing is who do you, who do you like this week, man? I kind of think that this is going to be a game that the Cowboys are probably going to lose because I think – uh, offensive execution is going to be difficult for them, and I don't entirely trust um, the offensive line. And I think Kansas City is going to score points against the Dallas defense because they don't have a consistent pass rusher. Um, I, I think the Cowboys have, you know, they, they've won on the road. They beat Minnesota with their backup quarterback. They went to Foxborough and, you know, put the biggest number on Bill Belichick that, that he's seen posted by a quarterback in terms of passing yards in his entire coaching career. So I think they'll be confident about their chances. I just think ultimately Kansas City is going to put too much speed on the field on, on offense. I think Kelsey's a tough matchup for almost anybody. Um, and, you know, the Cowboys didn't handle Rob Gronkowski all that well. They did handle Kyle Pitts pretty well last week. He kind of mysteriously disappeared after the first two series. But I, I just think that Kansas City is going to score against Dallas, and I'm not sure that under the circumstances the Cowboys are going to be as efficient in offense as we're used to seeing. All righty. Ed Werder, as always, man, we appreciate the time. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, Thanks guys. Talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Right. There he is. That is Ed Werder brought to you by Medea from Scratch with three Dallas area locations. You can check them out in Grapevine and Plano and in Flower Mound. Keep them in mind as you start thinking about your holiday parties and gatherings. They can cater as well. Medea from Scratch. You know, he brought up the Seattle Seahawks there, and that's kind of when I asked him that I was curious if I agreed with Ed Werder, and I do, but San Francisco, but look, Russell Wilson's injury really hurt Seattle. They're three and six. The only teams that have a worse record in the NFC than the Seattle Seahawks, Detroit Lions, 0-8-1. Now there are other three and six teams, Chicago, Washington, and the Giants, but that's the company they're keeping this year. And I kind of wonder you know, there's a lot of speculation that Russell Wilson's going to leave Seattle at the end of the season, that he's done. And I right. wonder if this is just the the end of what was once there and if it's time for Pete Carroll to move on. But you say that, and Pete Carroll 
has not had a losing season in Seattle since they went seven and nine in 2011. And yeah, they're three and six, and, and maybe they finish with a poor record this year. They're coming off the heels of a 12 and four season last year. It's all about the quarterback, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all about the quarterback. So, you know, if, if you are. Um... If you're Seattle and you've you figured out the plan after Russell Wilson, then yeah, go ahead and say I'll holler at you, dog. And if you haven't, then you better keep his ass, bro. Like you know, you spent Seattle spent their entire life. Okay, check this out, man. After Jim Zorn and Hasselbeck looking for a legitimate quarterback, um, the draft to me ain't no quarterbacks in the draft that you go, oh yeah, I can. I can hitch my wagon to this dude. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, again, if you got a solution, go ahead and, as I like to say, jettison him. If you don't, you better put your pride to the side and keep that dude. I don't care whether he wants to be there or not. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. You know, it's almost like one of those situations, and Aaron Rodgers is different because he could walk away if he wants. I mean, they agreed to that, and, and Russell Wilson still got two years left on his contract, but we all know how that works. Guys can force their ways out. We'll see how it is, but it is interesting when you look at the landscape of the NFC. Washington and the Giants being poor. Chicago and Detroit, nobody's surprised. Even Atlanta at four and five. The Seahawks at three and six is surprising. There, it's it's We're talking about a team that has one of the worst records in the NFL. That is surprising that it's Seattle. Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, I think we, I think we also understand that if their quarterback hadn't been hurt, I mean, kind of like the Cowboys last year, they wouldn't be three and six. I don't know what they'd be, uh, but they wouldn't be three and six. Um, but I think as much as I love Russell Wilson and love his game, you also got to recognize he may be at the age where he's slowing down just a little bit, and you got to get better talent around him. Even though DK Metcalf is fine and Lockett is fine, you know, to maximize him so he still doesn't have to do everything because, you know, who's their running back? I mean, is he a difference maker or is he just a guy? Yeah, for the most part, he's just a guy. Chris Carson is is mainly who they roll with. And you're right. Russ turns 33 here at the end of the month, and not all quarterbacks age the same. I think we have in our minds, well, Tom Brady's doing it. Aaron Rodgers is doing it. Drew Brees did it. Not everybody is those guys. Hell no. I mean, those are first ballot Hall of Famers for a reason. And, you know, Russell Wilson's probably going to be there. But um, the way he plays his game, he may or may not age gracefully. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. other guys are pocket guys, and he's never been a pocket guy. He's been a guy who has consistently made plays outside the pocket. I mean, he's still, he's still terrific. And if he left and went to a different system, a different place with different talent, he might be, you know, he might be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He might be at the top of the game again. But right now, I think he's a really good quarterback, but I don't know that he's great right now. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. Also brought to you by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Let him help you secure your family's future. You can give him a call at 940-453-3490. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy. 
Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.